Pastor Chris's podcast. So for those that are worshiping with us online for the first time, if there are any of you out there doing that, I, and for those that may be here for the first time, I just want to make sure everybody knows I'm not the preacher. Uh, we have somebody that was truly called to do this, and I hope with all that I have that you will tune back in again and listen to our pastor when he returns. Uh, He's been preaching a message, a series about love. And we're going to pick up with that and uh, just keep on going. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it states, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And rightfully so, because God is love. 1 John chapter 4 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And verse 16 states, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So, If we do not have love abiding in us, then we do not have God abiding in us. And we are simply a skeletal frame carrying a puff of nothingness contained by some wrinkly, scratched up, slowly aging skin. So this love thing is a big deal. It's the biggest deal. It's the real deal. And because it is the real deal, wouldn't it be nice if we knew what characterizes love and what contradicts love? Well, God has provided for us a very straightforward explanation of love through his servant Paul. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he states, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And today, we're going to look at three things love is not. The first is jealous. Now, one of the first things that popped into my mind as I was reading through this and studying up on this is the appearance of a contradiction between the verses in 1 John that state God is love and the letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians that states love is not jealous. And then you think back to the Old Testament in several places you can read where it says God is a jealous God. So I found an article from the Apologetics Press that explains this pseudo-contradiction in the contradiction being that if love is not jealous and God is love, then God can logically not be called jealous. Or to put it another way, if love is not jealous and God is jealous, then God cannot be considered loving, right? How can these verses be anything but contradictory? 
Well, the truth is, sometimes jealousy can be spoken of in a good sense. The word jealous is translated in the Old Testament from the Hebrew and in the New Testament from the Greek. And the root idea behind both of these words is that of warmth or heat. The Hebrew word for jealousy carries with it the idea of redness of face that accompanies strong emotion, whether right or wrong. And the thought that kind of came to me was like, when you were younger or sometimes when we're older too, and it doesn't go away, but the love of your life walks into the room and sometimes you just get a little bit flushed or your palms start to sweat a little bit. It's a reaction, it's a warmth, it's a heat. And it's not a bad thing. The Greek term for envy or jealous means to have warmth or feeling, warmth of feeling for or against. So depending upon the usage of the word, it can be used to represent both a good or an evil passion. So when is jealousy bad? Well, I found another article <laughs> that's called Love is Not Jealous, and it says that jealousy is to desire the attainments or advantages of another. In the negative sense, you either want what they have or you wish they didn't have it. You become unhappy or even miserable by the good fortunes of another. That's the bad kind. When Jehovah expressed his love for Israel in the Old Testament by proclaiming to be a jealous God, he was not envious of the Israelites' accomplishments or possessions, but was rather communicating a strong love for them with human language. So he's, he was not jealous in the negative sense, not in the sense Paul was talking to the Corinthians and to you and to me. So, jealousy in the negative sense is to desire the attainments or advantages of another. You either want what they have or wish they didn't have it. And it is an all-too-common experience for us. However, it is in direct opposition to the commitment of true love and can cause much harm to our relationships. It breeds ill will toward others. So when the Bible says that love does not envy, it means... When you possess true love, you will not be unhappy about, complain about, or wish to diminish or detract from the attainments or advantages of another. In fact, it produces exactly the opposite reaction. Love delights in the welfare of others and rejoices with them in the favor they enjoy. Now, as I read this, the human part of me began to chip away at that premise a little bit. And I thought, what about the people that I don't think deserve the accolades or achievements or good fortune? Surely I don't have to be happy for them. I mean, if I was a little bit resentful in that situation, it'd probably be okay. Sometimes we might think it's okay to be jealous if the person we're jealous of doesn't deserve it or we think they're a jerk. But I also got to thinking, do we really want to go there? Are we really asking that everybody get what they deserve? <laughs> that love, kindness, forgiveness, and eternal life are only offered to those that are worthy? Ephesians 2, 
8 and 9 say, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So how do we let go of jealousy? I mean, once it's there and you recognize it and you wish you didn't have it, how do you get past it? And How do you get to a point where you don't have to deal with it as much? So I found another article called Ungreen with Envy. And they have seven ideas about how you can let, let go of some jealousy. Number one, shift your focus to the goodness in your life. One of the biggest reasons we envy the life of another is because we have begun to take our own blessings for granted. Count them again. You are talented. You are gifted. You are cared for. You are unique. Your life is too valuable to be lived like everyone else. You have countless reasons to be grateful for the life you've been given. Take time to remind yourself again. Number two, remind yourself that nobody has it all. Stop comparing your life with others. It is often a losing proposition. There will always appear to be people who have it better than you. But remember, and I liked this, I hadn't really thought about this, but it applied to me. We always compare the worst about what we know about ourselves to the best assumptions we make about others. Be reminded nobody has it all. Each person you meet experiences problems, trials, and weaknesses just like you. This is what makes us human. Nobody is exempt. Nobody has it all. Nobody. Number three, avoid people who habitually value the wrong things. If you spend all your time with people who compare the latest fashions, you're going to start desiring the latest fashions. If you spend all your time with people who talk about their salaries, their new cars, their extravagant vacations, you're naturally going to fall into the trap of comparing your possessions to theirs. But there are far more important things to pursue. Remove yourself from the conversation. And sometimes the relationships. Number four, spend time with grateful people. Gratitude is highly contagious. Finally, something that's contagious that isn't so bad. Find grateful people who experience contentment in their lives and spend quality time with them. You can find them online or you can find them in person. I guarantee you, you can find them right here. We had them in the 9 o'clock service too, and there's probably people online as well listening. They're here. But the more you invest your time with them, the more their spirit will become yours. Number five, understand that marketers routinely fan the flame. One of the most effective tools for advertisers in our culture is to foster jealousy, and envy among us. After all, if they can cause us to recklessly desire the possessions of another, they can drive us to great lengths to acquire it for ourselves. Be on guard against their tactics. Recognize them, avoid them, and refuse to succumb to their deception. Number six, celebrate the success of others. I think this takes practice. Genuinely Rejoice in the fortune of others. When somebody receives something that you desire, be happy for them. 
If you wanted it, they probably did too. Stop viewing life as a competition all the time. I like this next statement too. Joy is not a finite resource. How cool is that? They can have some joy and there's still some left over for you too. We can all have it and experience it. It doesn't run out. And the moment you learn to experience happiness and others' joy is the day you take a huge step to overcoming envy once and for all. Number seven, be generous. Even if you have to force yourself into it at first, make generosity an essential habit in your life. Give your time, give your finances, give your abilities, your talents, your skills. Volunteer in your community. Support a cause that promotes social justice and get your hands dirty. As you begin to spend more time and energy with those who have less than you, the more you will find fulfillment and meaning. And when you do, the allure of another person's life will quickly fade away. And now, on to a second way not to boast. And that is, excuse me, not to love. And that is boasting. <laughs> so a second way not to love is boasting. Love does not boast. And just in case you're keeping track of time, the last two take up about the same amount of time as the whole first one. So don't get panicked or anything. It's okay. Like, oh no, we're going to be here forever. No, it, it, it gets a little faster. I don't know if it gets faster, but it doesn't take as long either way. So um, I found a quote by Eric Verhoff, and I think it sums up boasting and bragging quite well. He says, bragging is one of the most unproductive things to do. It doesn't give anyone else anything. It is an egotistical, egoistical, narcissistic waste of time, and real achievers don't have to. Even Usain Bolt would be looked at disapprovingly if he were to only talk about his being the fastest human being ever. Bragging is like fishing for a compliment with dynamite. I want to break this quote down a little further because I think it is in direct, uh, it talks about how bragging is in direct contradiction to the Christian walk. First, bragging is unproductive. We are not called to be unproductive. Remember what Jesus said to the fig tree? And then remember what happened to the fig tree? And figs weren't even in season at the time. Second, bragging doesn't give anyone anything else. But we are called to share the good news of the grace of God through His Son Jesus, which brings with it the gift of eternal life. Third, bragging is egotistical or having an, having an exaggerated sense of self-importance. But in Romans 12 verse 3 it says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And fourth, bragging is egoistical or being devoted to one's own interests. But in Philippians chapter 2, it says, let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. When you love, it's not about you. It's not about what you've done or achieved or gained. It's about someone else. 
what you can do for them, what you can give them, how you can help them. When we brag about what we have or what we've done, we risk making others feel bad about what they don't have or haven't done or can't do. All because we're so full of ourselves and what we've done or gained that we can't see past our need for someone to validate our success. Now, there are times when I do believe you need to speak the truth. And sometimes the truth can be painful to hear. But generally speaking, I think we should try to have conversations that leave people feeling supported, uplifted, loved, appreciated, and included. Loving people don't want to have conversations that leave people feeling resentful, angry, bitter, or jealous because of some menial accomplishment that they just have to let everyone know about. Boasting is not only not loving, but exactly the opposite, as found in James chapter 4, where he says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. God is love. Boasting is evil. Boasting is not loving except. In order to carry our pseudo-contradiction sub-theme through the middle of the message, 1 Corinthians does mention a time when boasting is acceptable. We read, Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. You see, giving God the glory in order to bring others into a relationship with Him is not the same as the boasting Paul is writing about to us. So be assured that we are still instructed and encouraged to boast in our God. But also be assured if you are not boasting in our God, you are not loving. And a third way not to love is to be prideful. So let me get the pseudo-contradiction sub-theme out of the way before we wrap up with pride. How can we not be proud of our families, our church, our friends, our accomplishments? It is natural to feel pride for people around us and for ourselves. Of course, there's a lot to be said about what feels natural and whether that's a good thing or not, but that's a whole other sermon. But I found a quote by John Maxwell that says, There are two kinds of pride, both good and bad. Good pride represents our dignity and self-respect. Bad pride is the deadly sin of superiority that reeks of conceit and arrogance. You see, we do have worth because we were created by God. And as we all know, God don't make no junk. And we can be proud of what our God has done for us and through us for the glory of His kingdom here on earth and beyond. But taking ownership of our success as if God has had nothing to do with it is the deadly sin of superiority that reeks of conceit and arrogance. So there's good pride and bad pride. Now, boasting and pride have several things in common. And pride is defined as, in several ways, but one way is having or showing a high or excessively high opinion of oneself or one's importance. 
And we know that would involve being egotistical and egoistical, which brings us back to boasting. So as I was writing all this out and thinking about it, I'm like, what's the difference? And I came up with what I think is at least one difference. And that is when you boast, you put on a show for the world to see. You put it all out there. But it's possible one can be prideful and never say a word to anyone. Instead, the world they've created inside their head and their heart is filled with nothing but the idea that they are the reason they have everything they have. They are the reason they can do everything that they do. And in this worldly facade, they are the king or queen and they are to be served and they are of the utmost importance. And this quiet, unrevealed pride will build its flawed kingdom on a faulty foundation until one day it's going to crumble. The imaginary kingdom will fall. This kind of pride is dangerous because it's internal. It's internal. At least with boasting, you might have a Christian friend hold you accountable. Pull you off to the side one day and say, hey, listen, man, unless you fell off the treadmill and smacked your face, nobody wants to hear about your workout. They'll set you straight, you know. But with pride, this internal kind of pride, it's something a person must recognize. They got to acknowledge and they've got to fix it on their own. To discover it and fix it requires self-awareness and prayer and an intimacy with God. We are all susceptible to that. And lastly, I saw another definition of pride that I thought had a little bit of a twist, and it was defined as pleased or satisfied with oneself, one's possessions, or achievements. And the word that got me was satisfied. Satisfied made me think of settled or maybe content with things as they are. And then I thought of that song that Janet Jackson sang, What Have You Done For Me Lately? And then I thought, love is not a state of being satisfied or content with things as they are. I'm not saying that loving is not satisfying or to be loved is not satisfying. It's just that love is not a thing that can be checked off a to-do list and then forgotten about and never to be considered again. The opportunity to love and show love exists in practically every moment we are awake and functioning. Lifting a prayer for someone who finds their way into your thoughts. Cleaning the dishwasher out when you know you heard that detergent tray slap the door as you opened it. Giving a bigger than usual tip. Listening to someone you don't particularly want to listen to. And then thanking God for having had the opportunity to listen to them. How many people brushed them aside during the day and didn't pay them any attention, and then there they were, and there you were. The ways to show love are almost countless, but there are at least three ways not to show love. Love is not jealous. Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God 
and God abides in him. So if we do not have God abiding in us, we're simply a skeletal frame carrying a puff of nothingness contained by some wrinkly, scratched up, slowly aging skin. 